we should always start our talks with obedience to the gurus. Thank the Lord, thank the Masters for their wisdom and their guidance. We don't really thank them enough for the enormous amount of effort and time they give to us. They're writing comms for a lot of you people and us overseas. They're always seeding your meditations, every one of them. They have to watch out your karma and rearrange your karma according to the way that you are manifesting. They have to watch every iota of DB that you're either generating or the DB that's actually going to attack you. And often those two things are happening simultaneously. As you're generating DB um, attitudes, then you invite the DB to attack you. They sometimes actually have to plan all of this before, long before it ever happens. They actually have to observe our group structure, all of your minds and emotions and how it interrelates as a group. They actually have to figure out the blowouts before they're actually going to happen so that they um, can have the rightful response to them. They're constantly watching, serving you. And we don't have enough real devotion or thankfulness, I think, in our lips to what they actually give us. I would actually like the group to be a little bit more respectful to the masters and actually sort of say it more verbally, more often, um, to younger disciples by the grace of the gurus or the, by the grace of the teacher, the teachers, um, this is coming for you or this is possible. But, so you put everything firmly where it all belongs, which is hierarchy. All of us are servants of hierarchy and all of us are members of hierarchy. Um, as you know, it is a hierarchy. We work from a hierarchical system, which is from top down, and our officers are appointed according to how they pass their testings. I personally um, hardly like to breathe without um, the breath um, saying thank you, thank you, thank you. It's actually a joy to be a member of hierarchy, to be working for and with Shambhala, to be working with Divas, to be working with UFO people, and of course be working with a community such as this where everyone is intrinsically loving. There's all different types of karmic impediments and so forth that come out from time to time. You're all disciples on the march to enlightenment. But intrinsically you're here to help each other and you should also thank each other for the service work you give to each other. We're in a community here, it's an ashram. Uh, it's an ashram of one of the masters, namely me. And as a consequence, um, it's also um, follows along the, the lines ordained by the particular ray line and its purpose, which I embody. This type of proper respect where you're always grateful, always humbling yourself because of the gratitude, is um, what helps you to travel the Mount of Initiation pretty fast, up on your knees all the time, 
because you're listening and you want to serve, you want to obey what the hierarchy gives to you. This is the only way into enlightenment and this is the way of love. The ego, the pride, this is the big killer to discipleship. Every which way it comes out, it's deadly, 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 deadly serpent. It is the way of the dark brotherhood par excellence. There is no other way they really gain their mastery of the dark arts except through pride. Pride and will. When you are grateful for what hierarchy gives you, then everything that comes from you is a joy. It's a song. There's nothing really that can happen to you that's bad. It's only your reactions to your life circumstances that makes things appear bad. And of course, the opportunities that you have to wallop you. But those opportunities are based either on your past karma or stupidity you manifest in the present. You have to be always vigilant. The DB will always be watching you and will jump at any moment's notice. They're ever vigilant. Not like you, mostly, most of you. You forget yourselves. You forget that you're in a war. You're a war zone. There's a mass of eyes perpetually focused upon you and your boy um, and other forms of DB watching for weaknesses and at a moment's notice they will call their armies up if you are going to produce some form of gross emotionality that they can jump into or erroneous thought form a thought form that is not in line with giving thanks to hierarchy. In the Christian world, of course, it would be thanks to Jesus Christ or to God. We just have a much more um, defined, philosophically um, astute, detailed analysis of what Jesus Christ and God really represents. Or Allah. So, if they do it, then you can do it more openly and earnestly. And I just don't mean lip service. I do mean um, with your hearts, with your whole integral ability. Thank the Lord. Of course, many of you are connected today to hierarchy, you have your personal connections. And your duty is to be connected at all times, to always have the Master sitting above your head and in your heart. To always feel the presence of the Master. The only reason you don't feel the presence is because you yourself, because of your emotions, because of um, your occlusion of minds, because of the way you're thinking in this physical plane. One of the reasons why I'm um, able often to tell you, look, there's a master here, or sort of there's a diva there, or sort of listen to this, is because I'm thus connected. Um, half of my mind is inwardly focused, and the other half is actually focused with you people. And there's no difference for me as for you. You do the same. You have a, um, what um, DK calls the dual life of the disciple. Half of you is inwardly focused at all times, and the other half is doing this 
maya virupa, um, activity, which means the activity in this field of delusion. In samsara, as the um, Buddhists call it. Yes? This is the illusion. This is the, the, um, the dream. The reality is what happens in your meditation life when you go to sleep at nights. Think of what you truly are. You are um, far more than what these physical forms allow you to express. Far, far more. Stacks of the past life incarnations molded into this. And this is just a reflection of a monad, which is cosmic being that has stacks of cosmic incarnations. And for many of you, soul as well, which is um, responsible for the appearance of the form. But the form itself is just an appropriation. It's a divic construct. Lots of little divas go up to make what you think is you. You have a consciousness and a will that directs those divas. And very often, because of stupidity, those divas have to direct you. They come out in awkward sort of ways, produces sicknesses and disease and all sorts of rebellions of your body. But they don't like what you're doing to them. As you all know, we are in a process of learning to transit between this state, whatever you want to call it, the I to me to mind, uh, the concept of something that is separate from something over there that is separate from something over there, to what it is that you are when you leave your bodies. In consciousness, I can say at nights, I can say in your meditation space, I can say when the other half of you is actually focused upon the masters. You're always bowing. I'm always bowing anyway, I'm not sure about you, but it's a good way to be humble, subservient to high authority, to the greater wisdom, to the love that is. Matter of fact, I can't see any other way that I'd like to be. All that these forms are, they act as, they're playing out a role. At first you're caught up in the illusion of the role, and then later on you see just how much of a stage play it really is. Just a bandstand and lots of clashing noise around you. People hang on to the, the show that's being played and try to grab on to the um, aspects of the actors and all the other sort of um, celluloid that's passing in front of you as if it was real as if that's what made them happy. The best thing that makes you happy is to actually watch the play. Play your role well and go on. Don't be attached to anything. Do the play, really. You get attached to it all, uh, any part of it. It produces pain, suffering. The Buddha told you that. Whatever role we have, that is the role that um, is to cleanse our karma. And the masters work out how your karma is to be cleansed best. Because most of you know, when you look back at your life, some of those most exquisite, joyous parts of your life, which often people relate to sexual indulgences, are transient. They're not here now. Just transient. Memories, it's all that you have of whatever it was, that you thought was a happiness and joy. 
and then you can project it into the future if you keep on wanting those types of transient experiences all they are is memories and you die with them and the more you try to hang on to those memories as if they were real the more pain and suffering ensues so we flow with the go of it with the way it is to flow we don't offer resistance but we have to develop our intelligence yes we actually have to utilize our wisdom our love properly so as to manifest rightly in accordance with the plan that we see unfolding in front of us it's a walking mirage a daydream if you wish I've, um, in nearly all of my writings, I'm trying to explain to people, such as you, and everyone else out there, essentially what the soul is. Uh, it's difficult to get beyond that, because what the soul is, most people have very little understanding of. And, you know, I've been talking about your personality, which is just a reflection or an expression of the soul. But as you go past a certain initiation, then the soul itself becomes a, a little bit tawdry. You actually start to think in terms of cosmic evolution. Where, what you truly are, monads. Where you've truly come from. What star system? Where you're truly going to? the next star system what steps in between the new age six root race the new globe we're all working to become logi in the new solar system it's an interesting thought for me uh, my job is to so train you as to take you with me to uh, help you to equip you to become great symbolic lords, great deeds, forces of nature, entities which the humanity that evolved through that will make myths about you, worship you, be devoted to you, blaspheme in your name, slaughter people in your name. It's the bigger picture that is what the initiative is concerned with. Not this little myopic picture of these bipeds walking around in a little property in Dante's <laughs> Lane or in Paris or down on the coast. So when I get a chance to write about such things as the Dharmakaya or Atma or monadic perception, it's actually quite unusual. It's a very rare thing because I'm really bogged down with where most people are at, what they demand, what they need. Anyway, what I am more interested in is is this concept of love, of devotion, of the way you serve each other, of the way that we evolve together as a group. Karma is group karma. Everything that I can think of in terms of karma has its basis there, is that not so? Even a solitary monk in a, trapped up in a cave somewhere has karma with groups 
they come from humanity and go to humanity and are involved in meditation upon humanity. Karma is threefold, mental, physical and emotional. Hmm? Later on, there's cosmic karma which you don't need to worry about at this stage. When I was talking about monad evolution, that's what I was talking about, it's cosmic karma. It's the karma of groups of monads as they travel from place to place. March on is a phrase that relates to monadic evolution. It's group karma, yes. We're all here because we have the karma of each other from past lives. You have lovers because you have the karma with your lover. You meet somebody on the streets and you bang into them and all of a sudden you decide to have a bit of a chat with them or whatever and before you know it, they're in bed with you. You all understand this principle, yes? That it's all because you've um, interrelated that person in a past life. You've, uh, we've all shared um, jokes with each other. We've all been you know, fathers, lo- uh, husbands, sisters, wives, brothers and so forth to each other. It's just a matter of how far you go back. But generally, we work out a service work arena from life to life according to the purpose. Because we're disciples, we're members of hierarchy. We're not concerned about petty self. But all that somebody like me um, does when somebody like me comes along, and it can be any one of the masters, is to awaken you to that which you've forgotten about because of this transition between your last life and this life. The true group karma. The true karma of hierarchy. I'm going now, soon enough, back to the rest of the world to find more of your brothers and sisters, to integrate you, to help awaken them, to get rid of some of their cobwebs in their minds, the dust that has settled because they've forgotten where they were and what they are from past lives. You have some sort of awareness. And understand, your karma is emotional. All sorts of petty emotional interrelationships, yes. Desire bodies sort of rampant here and there. Um, We can see it very strongly in the kiddies. But I know some emotional or um, kiddies also around here in adult form. And it's mental. You sort of have all sorts of thoughts and thought behaviour amongst it. It's mental, emotional, what I call karma manners. And sometimes it's quite physical. Well, our sort of lovemaking is. Whatever it is, it's forms of interaction between Diva units bound by consciousness states that's human and a little bit of human will to direct it whichever way it wishes to go. But on the whole, what we're trying to say is expand your consciousness through love, eliminate the will to do of your personal directive of your divas and divic lives and your motive self, and redirect it towards being more loving, towards your group, towards group inclusive expansiveness. Grow, grow, grow until you are a, I was going to say, a grouping of monads marching on together to fill the vacuous space of the universe. I don't know if I can say that. How else can we say it, really? Uh, 
because I started off saying something to do with my genetic evolution which concerns uh, building planetary systems, building star systems, inhabiting those star systems of life and pushing them on through the human stage and beyond. Is it all that hard for you people here to think of yourself as the great lords of the whole planetary system, as something like the mother of the world, with that incredible, serene patience that you must have and magnitudinous wisdom? It's only really a matter of time, and said not so. And what is time? We have plenty of it. it it's hierarchy's element. We dish it out, basically, according to the need. How much time do you think you need? One year, two years, five years, one life, two years, lives, ten lives? When I'm writing some sort of book that I'm doing now on, on solar evolution, for instance, and I'm looking at quite vast scales of time, I actually have to meditate upon such things for, uh, such as when Mars was active with human life on it, what period of time did that correspond with regards to Earth evolution? Was it the time of the dinosaurs, for instance? Now there's a thought for you. Were dinosaurs actually roaming around while when Mars had human beings on it, learning a bit of space uh, craft stuff as well? But we're looking at a new globe that's forming, the fifth globe. Well, the fifth um, round of the, the, the globe of the fifth chain of this particular system that's appearing. And we're looking at transference of life from this globe to that globe. Now, if you actually thought about it for a few seconds, you would say, gee, that could be hundreds of millions of years between now and when there's plant life or animal life appearing, and maybe billions of years before there's human life appearing. And I'm talking about becoming a lord of that planet, and you guys being lords and ladies thereof within the Shambhala, looking after all. Hundreds of millions of years from now. But, when you drop these physical forms, they're gone, right? This crappy form that we all live in is gone, no longer giving you pain and suffering and all of those opportunities for emotionality. What happens to your sense of time? Is there such a thing as time when your bodies are dropped away? You leave your bodies at night, all of you, yes, and you come back... You've done a whole host of things. Could have gone to Sirius and back and gone to other universes if need be. Probably not to other universes, but certainly to many star systems. And then come back. All the myriads of things you've done all condensed into one little dream. A few seconds of remembrance. So you drop your body forever, no more need to incarnate, good thought is it not, then what? 
How quick do the cycles manifest? Come and go, come and go, come and go. While you're preparing, while this new globe is forming animal life. You may not have um, evolved much at all in terms of your consciousness, but that globe is appearing and rapidly producing the insects and so forth. The devas are doing their work. I'm trying to give you an idea of the relativity of it all for you, for us, as initiates. We're so caught up in time. It's very sort of, you know, you go by hour, by minute, by whatever. Um, it's so caught up with this concept of time. And when we look at the concept of time, we're actually looking at that which you relate to as karma. The seconds tick away, the moments sort of um, produce actions, and the actions um, give you things to think about in the future. The karma really is the law of cycles. It's the appearance of the action that you're now experiencing, done in the form of cycle, which is now ripened. The form of cycle could be in ancient Egypt or it could be in ancient Mars if you live there. And when it manifests, that was yesterday. That was the last moment, the last breath in reality. As far away as it was in time, as far as earthly years go, it is the last moment, the twinkling of an eye, as far as karma is concerned. It's coming out to the surface now because you're ready to experience it. And it produces your um, goddamn awful emotional states, often. Sometimes it produces some of your bodily aches and pains as well. And types of situations that you sometimes may not like to know about. For instance, a car accident that keeps you gets you crippled. Because in a form of cycle, you basically chopped off somebody's legs in a war. You understand this principle. So, you can see that we of hierarchy are working out how to manipulate your karma best. Is that not so? There's all sorts of streams of karma. We actually want to make it so that your karma works out in such a way that you're freed from suffering. Is that not a loving thing to do? Is that not a very uh, a wise thing to do? To free you all from suffering. And how do we free you from suffering? To give you the experiences based on your karma to stop you from being attached to the form and all the attributes of form all this uh, rupa around you. It's this clock ticking way, sort of. It's a slow process, I admit. For me it is. Um, I'm much older than you, most of you now. For you it is. Uh, it's a slow process because there's so much karma to cleanse, so much baggage. I often sort of regard it as it as a type of baggage train. It's, it's like you're sitting in a caravan and behind the caravan is a cart and another cart and another cart and another cart and another cart carrying all of this baggage of your past lives. 
And the horse is not going very fast at all. It doesn't like to be caught up with all of those wheels. Pointing. So the process of cleansing your karma is just sort of um, working out how to offload some of the, that baggage train and there was nothing left. And this is all that hierarchy are doing. Uh, they want you to relinquish your ties to physicality. And we don't mean by killing yourself because that just produces more karma. That gives you the addiction, more addiction to form. Because when people do that, they do it because of their addiction to form or their lack of response to aspects of the karma that they have. We're asking you to transmute your base substances into spiritual gold, into the elixir of life, the nectar of immortality, the beauty that you really are, the cosmic uh, traveller that is manifesting inside you. We are lords of sacrifice, every human unit is does, whether it's the, um, the most um, debased, bored sort of alcoholic on the street to the most enlightened person that there is. Everyone is a lord of sacrifice. Every unit, human unit, is there because they are a transmutative substance, a transmutative crucible. Basically it's this. You get some black cosmic dust, stir it up in a bowl full of soul, grow a human unit. The human unit develops a mind, the mind converts to dust. The dust becomes human eventually and evolves to become a soul and a soul becomes monadic. Hmm. It's sort of uh, a very difficult equation, but what I'm trying to say is that the form that you're inhabiting is appropriated from cosmic dust. The consciousness that is utilizing the form is converting the substance of the form into human consciousness states by incarnating into it again and again and again and again and again. If it wasn't for this fact that all of the black, dark matter in cosmos is to become enlightened, there would be no need for incarnation. If it will go home, wherever our cosmic home was. Good thought, is it not? That's what karma is all about. It's a conversion process. When you write about it in solar evolution, you can see it. You know, you're talking about um, the initial capture of cosmic dust and then the process of it descending through the planes of perception and eventually becoming mineral and then it's process of it evolving up the planes of perception and through the plant and the animal and uh, then the human state. But it couldn't evolve up or even descend down, unless there were vehicles of transmutation bringing it from, the, from that totally raw, unrefined state to the self-conscious state that you represent. Loads of sacrifice. Limited the duration of your uh, spiritual evolution 
in order to transform substance into consciousness. Basically, one could ask now, why does a monad want to do that? Surely it's got something better to do. Ah, yes, the phraseology is something like, they burn to know. They desire to know. That's don't something. They know all? No, they don't. That's the problem. They perceive that they're ignorant of something. And so they reach downwards in order to discover that which they're ignorant of. And this is the process where they come to know. Does that make sense to you? Not really. It's very difficult to think in terms of your monic um, evolution. But this. Um, Acquisition of knowledge is really what it's all about. Gaining of a great enlightenment state. That's what you're all about also, is it not? From when you're a little baby crawling around there upwards, you're burning to know. You're desiring to know. I mean, those of us who are initiated and um, who are very, very highly intelligent and um, like reading about what's in books rather than just simply sort of sozzling ourselves of alcohol and those sorts of things and unlimited amount of sex, actually want to know. We desire to know. We aspire to know more and more. That's the monadic impulse within us. That's what makes you an initiate. You've actually made the steps to learn more and 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 more. It doesn't stop. You become a Buddha and so you go on, still learning more and more and more and more. Basic instinct, the instinct to knowledge. Talking about knowledge in a very broad sense. Yes, I'm talking about knowledge in a very broad sense. I'm actually pointing out that, well, I'm not really pointing out, but I could, that this desire to know expands in such a way until eventually you know that the all is one and one is the all. Everything is integrated into one great cosmic whole. This is love. It's an evolutionary impetus that moves everything, every atom, the all, every unit, onwards and upwards into greater, greater um, vistas of revelatory standing. So, when you begin to overcome your petty little selves, which doesn't really want to know, that's most of the people out there, they just want for themselves to build them around themselves a bigger, bigger empire of possession. I possess this, I have that, this is mine, yes? All you sort of um, learn about there is the I, the me and the mine, everything in relationship to the me, the mine. And you can see that this as the opposite of the desire to know, is it not? The evolutionary push, push to know means that you actually have to let go of those things instead of building this bubble around concept of self. My, me, mine. You let go of that. And the bubble bursts. 
little bubble of selfishness, self-concern, self-conceit, pride. The bubble burst, yes. The bigger the pride, the bigger the bubble, the... Louder the burst. Louder the burst and the more the screaming. The greater the pain and suffering, yes. But eventually, after a little while, and it's all subsided, oh my God, what is there that's left? Once the bubble has burst, the remnant of it all is cosmos. Knowledge of it all. That's what remains after that bubble has burst and you stop screaming. It's, there's a few levels of bubble bursting, and it's what we call initiation levels. But each level is a bit of screaming and um, whatever. Of course, as you get to the high initiation, it's all done knowledgeably, consciously, and wisely. So, do you like what you are right now? Or are you quite happy to go through the process of allowing that bubble to burst? Surrender, they call it. Sacrifice is another term for it. I just call it joy, bliss. A question that Riff asked me about karma, and you can see I've been basically talking about it all along in different ways, because it actually is quite a vast subject. It's that which makes you a lord of sacrifice. It's a question that sometimes is asked by people who are brought up in the materialistic world, which I should explain. And it's a logical question because all they have is materialistic science to go on. And materialistic science basically says, well, when you go further back in time, there's less and less human beings until you get some anthropoid ape somewhere in Africa about a million years ago sort of holding a bone in one hand and, and very few human units. And how can their law of karma account for the fact that now there's over six billion of us on this planet when they, when they go further and further back they find there's not even six billion before this century or last century but the reality is as I pointed out to Ruth they're materialists they don't look at our concept of karma which is for instance as I pointed out to Ruth Atlantis had a very big population actually it wasn't as big as this but the earth was certainly very populated they had, sp they had flying ships. They were a seafaring nation. They had colonies all over the place. They provided an awful lot of food because they were an agrarian society. Yes. What happens, do you think, when a whole continent sinks because some comet or two suddenly wallops into the earth. Certainly, if that continent had a half a billion people or so, 
they're all gone. And if you're talking about seafaring nations with all of its subsidiary colonies, mainly living on the coast, they're all gone. You can think of tidal waves going up to maybe 500 feet or more. Well, tsunamis rather than tidal waves. Hmm? Going right over the Blue Mountains if need be. If the crumpling of the earth that happens as a consequence is so vast, so there's such a shock. And um, rain, lots of it. Because the comet sends up an enormous quantity of debris into the upper atmosphere, calling a, causing a what, cooling down effect, virtual extinction of all life on this planet. So if this happens something like 10,000 or so BC, you expect at least 5,000 years or thereabouts for the humanity to recover, yes? To say nothing of the, the flora and fauna of this planet. And then you get the traces of what physical plane scientists call civilization. <laughs> they count back to the remnant 5,000 or so years after the um, bomb went off, if you want to call it like that. And before Atlantis, there was Lemuria. And before Lemuria, there was the moon. The old moon changed humanity. Or earlier, even. So karma actually accounts for quite a vast period of time and gives ample room for the number of people that we have now to have had karma all the way back then and before. If you use occult philosophy and intelligent design as your basis um, to evolution rather than that philosophy given by materialists. They, after all, are very good at ignoring evidence in the ground that they don't want to look at. <laughs> and it's in all the fields of sciences, of science. They're barely scientists, they really are dogmatists. Their dogmatism is scientific materialism. Mm -hmm. What um, Riff calls modernism. Mm -mm. What would you call it? I don't know, but positivism. Is positivism, yeah. Yeah, that's positivism. That's right. <laughs> She'll explain it to you someday if you ever ask her. Positivism. Oh, is there it's, a it's a modern philosophy <laughs> that's um, the cover up for what I call scientific materialism. Yeah. They think they're positive. Positively deluded. Yes. Any other questions that anyone would have here concerning karma? So that if somebody actually asks you, you can answer. Yeah, I have a That is one question, yes. Now you have it. Answered. I have a doozy one for you. Is it possible for someone else, say a saviour as they're often referred to, to take on and cleanse your karma for you? This well, is one I that wish. people ask me all the time. Oh, Jesus died for my sins, therefore I mm. don't have them. Vicarious atonement. Do you know what that really means? That Jesus, when he died, you know, understand this word vicarious atonement? I've never heard it before. Vicarious. Vicarious, yes. 
That's what he basically means. He died for your sins. He took on the weight of the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, on his shoulders because he so loved you that he laid down his life on that one act on the cross. Yes, because you also hear it in the, the Master Guru thing in the East that this person, this Master is so great, he's taken on your karma and cleansed it for you. No, what he's done is giving you a mechanism by an example for you to cleanse your own karma. Right. He's taken on the weight of your sins because he's a Bodhisattva. And he's going to be around for a long time to help you cleanse your karma through his act of his compassion. Nobody can take on your karma for you. For you. Who on earth would want to? <laughs> I know. There's a, there's a, these well, masters are so great, that's why yes. they do it. it would they're be, uh, so, so self-sacrificing. Oh, yes, 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 yes. That's yes. what they say. No, no, we are all Jesus Christ's. Right, we're incarnating again and again and again with the weight of the world on our shoulders because we're trying to help people fix up their karma, and we will not move our our um, body subject position until they've done so. Yeah. We take them all with us. I, if I ascend to the Father, will draw all men unto me," said Jesus. He is descended to his Father. Yes, the Christians will say so. I agree. But where are all the men that he is supposed to have taken with him? They're still busy struggling with their weight of their karma and their sins on this physical plane. He will take them, by all means. That is his vow. And he will fulfill his vow right to the bitter dregs of the end of it. Mm. It'll take more than one human um, globe such as the earth to do so. <laughs> and he'll stay around for that length of time. That is his vicarious atonement. Mm. And of course in the Buddhist world, in the Hindu world, sometimes they say, oh, the guru can take on your karma, or, or you can absolve your karma by sort of releasing this, this bird out of its cage. No, um, you don't resolve uh, or, or eliminate any karma. You may get some good kudos for releasing the bird out of the cage, but maybe somebody trapped the bird so you can release it and he can get some money for you. So you're actually um, aiding in a um, bird-catching sort of industry um, because it's very profitable um, for somebody to catch birds to give them to you so that you can release them. Um, is that good karma? I don't think so. It's not going to solve the problem of me having murdered somebody yeah. or anything else like that. No. If, for instance, you do something really bad and you really regret it later on, say, you know, I don't know, I won't go into all the possible things that, that yeah. can happen, but you can imagine um, doing something really bad. Some of you have done it in your past life, something that you really regret now. Um, if you go into your memory banks, it's there. Then, um, <coughs> then you say later on, oh, gee, this thing that I've done is still weighing on me. I'm going to give all of my money to charity to fix up this karma of that particular thing. No, you're going to find that when you reincarnate, you're going to suffer the bad karma of whatever you did, and then you're going to suffer the good karma of having given all your money to charity. 
that was my next question. Does good doing good deeds actually wipe out bad karma, but actually it just gives you good karma to experience? That's right. That's so, <laughs> at one part of your life, you have a really bad thing happen to you, and then later on, you get a windfall, <laughs> and you're really happy. Yes. So that is that's the context of how in your life do you know when you're creating karma or cleansing karma? That's why it's always better to err on the side of compassion. That's right. Because you just don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, those two things have been burning in my brain for a long time because people always ask me and I never know how to answer them because they're convinced of what my guru said. And it's like, well, I don't know your guru, I don't know that stuff, and I, I've never known how to answer it, but you do hear it a lot with spiritual people, particularly those that are more... The, in the, in the oh, everyone would love to have their karmic slates cleaned <laughs> Absolutely. <for them. laughs> if you... There, the, you know, if you... <laughs> this, oh, just so much. Like, you take, for instance, in the Christian religion, if you know the Catholic Church, you, you've heard of the Catholic Church, some of you, <laughs> now, you know, in the um, the the Catholic Church, they have priests that um, um, forgive you for sins. Um, you you know you you go to the, to the priest and you say, "Dear Father," you go to confessional, right? I have sinned. And then the father sort it's of been um, three months since my last confession. Yeah. And it was my sin. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Well practiced. Well practiced. Okay. Yeah. And and then he sort of says, he gives you the little sign of the cross and sort of mumbles a little prayer, and then says, "Okay, I do five Hail Marys and six Our Fathers, and um, come on Sunday and eat this um, body of the Christ." Um, the wafer, this is consubstantiated sort of um, bread, and um, your sins shall be forgiven you. They're taking the um, statement of Jesus when he said, Rise and your sins shall be forgiven you, not understanding at all what Jesus is doing. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're a genuine practicing Catholic, you believe that your sins are forgiven. All those other heathens out there, well, no matter what religion they are, even though they're Christians, I'm going to go to hell, but you have had your soul saved because of this um, six Hail Marys and five Hail Fires. Now, if you sort of go back all the way in history, and you find, for instance, the um, the first the Roman Empire that bought uh, Christendom, what the Catholic Church, the faith into the Roman Empire, and then made, made it official, Constantine. Now, in those days, you've heard of Emperor Constantine? Mm. Adrian has, I know. He's, he's, a, he's actually a good student of history, but others are not. Constantinople. Mm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Um, Constantinople, yes, he built Constantinople. And that's part of it. Um, what I want to point out to you, that in those days, really good Christians like him didn't get baptised. Oh, no, 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 no. They, it was a lottery for them. They got baptised at the moment of their, when they were on the deathbed. Then, you can understand what... So you don't have to spend your life confessing your sins, you can confess yeah. them all in the last minute? Well, in those days they still had to invent this particular... But in those days, um, once you got baptised, all your sins were forgiven. Mm. 
and then they had no more chance of making any more nuisance, yes? So they could do whatever they want, however they wanted it, as long as they didn't get baptised. What if they died by accident? Oh, that was a horrible thought, <laughs> yes. That was the risk, that was the lottery. <laughs> that was the lottery. I see. So Constantine actually became a Christian on his deathbed. Okay, this is just a little... I don't know how I get on going to this particular... Because it's an idea of karma. That's right. idea of cleansing karma. Cleansing karma, yes. same deal. Somebody can take the weight of your sins off your shoulders by a mere little compassionate act. Six hour Hail Marys and five hour fathers. I don't know what it'll be for you, Kylie. It may be 20 hour Hail Marys. I don't know what your sins have done. (laughs) 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 Isn't it necessary at some stage for us to cause suffering to others and experience that whole sort of negative aspect in order to develop this cosmic knowledge? Why would you want to cause suffering to others? I know, I know. You do it inadvertently. You know, you, you you say the wrong thing. You you um you know you go into war, for instance. I mean, war is another sort of example of karma. I'll go into that a little bit later. Uh, it's not necessary for the, you to cause suffering to others, but it's an inverted sort of part of human life. Not that you actually cause suffering to others unless you punch them in the nose or do something physically about them. People cause their own suffering to themselves by the inability to control their emotions. It's the emotion, lack of emotional control that causes the suffering, not um, anything that anyone says or does. Unless, of course, they do something like poison them or you know, physical violence. Is it possible for a soul to take on too much karma in one incarnation? There's no such thing as taking on too much karma in one incarnation. Uh, you can manifest too much karma, but there's a thing, what we call the dark brotherhood, following the dark way, and the white brotherhood, following the white way. It's, it's actually a little bit, um, quite a bit involved here. But no, it's not possible to take on too much karma, because you have one incarnation, one incarnation is quite small. But... If you sort of, um, say if you're a Hitler, mm-hmm. that's probably a good example of something that you can think of as somebody that's very evil in intent. Um, he had his genuine love for the German people. Mm. You know, it was all for the German people, really. Mm. You know, the, 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 the master race. You know, he had certain good karma there, good kudos for them. Um, it's just that the Jews and the, the homosexuals. I'm sorry, I'm, can I use the gays? Oh yeah, the <laughs> the, gays. The, those in those days they called them the homosexuals. They did. <laughs> the gays is fine. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the gypsies and and certainly certain other sort of antisocial behaviour, by antisocial behaviour, read um, people that didn't follow. Nonconformist that didn't follow his particular philosophy or the philosophy of the German people at the time was thrown into concentration camps and they dealt with them their way which isn't much different to what America um, has done with the Iraqis or is presently doing to the Afghanis it wasn't just Hitler but Hitler by himself could not do anything yes? he convinced a number of people of like-minded they're actually a black coven um, to follow him, they all had the same philosophy. And then 
he managed to seduce the entire German nation to elect him to power by certain dirty tricks, plus a philosophy that they all agreed in, mm. that the Jews in their society were the richest people, they had all the money, and uh, the German people, in contrast, were working for them. There was a lot of envy and jealousy and all the rest of it, and there's, um, you know, thousand years of programs against the Jews. So, um, they just added one and one together and said these people had to go. Uh, we want our wealth back. We want our country back. And so Hitler and his cronies invented a whole pile of, um, shall we say, anti-racist uh, uh, racist statements and so forth. And You know the story. You've seen it on, on TV. Uh, and the Jewish people are very good at, pro at telling everyone about the Holocaust. It's okay. It's um, fine. It's not a not a um, anything wrong with that, um, except what they did. They manifest in the Holocaust mm. now, of course, in Palestine. Mm. Yeah. Um, they manifest in bad karma for themselves. Mm. They had a bad experience, and so they did do exactly the same to another bunch, another few million people, and then when they reincarnate again, who are they going to blame? for what happens to them. But, go back to Hitler. Hmm? Um, what I'm saying is not Hitler, it's a whole bunch of people around him, and then around them, there's a whole millions of German people. And Europeans as well. There are plenty of people all over Europe that believe just the way the Germans did. You know, they convinced a massive French and so forth, yes? Just bringing this back to the... Uh, the so it's a collective karma focused yeah. upon one individual. The individual that that called most of the shots. And just understand this. If you had a shot during that, that period of time, Hitler, then Goebbels would have been in charge. Mm. He would have had exactly the same. He may have been worse. Mm. <laughs> you understand? If you had a shot him, then, then somebody else would have been in charge with the same philosophy. Yeah. It's a philosophical movement. They all share the karma. And yes, the karma is bad. But how many lives will it take to cleanse that? One, five, ten? Eventually it will be cleansed. Eventually they will come out of the other end of it, like you guys have for some of your DB karma from past lives, and going way back, um, on the white path. But stacks and stacks of pain and suffering. That's your next question. Um, well, is that pain and suffering the only way to purify the soul and put it on the path of life? Pain and suffering, um, as you're developing wisdom, as you're mm. following the path to light, you have to undo your harm as well. Mm. Um, and there's all types of karma of the way that people have used their mouths to attack people. Mm. Malicious gossip. Oh, I love that one. Uh, how many of you are victims of slander? Uh, when you're at school, for instance, I don't know, there's lots of little girls and boys that um, have gossip around them and it hurts them very much. Um, tears them up inside, and sometimes their brothers and sisters even. Malicious gossip. One of the worst forms of karma. The worst form of karma is done by your mouth than anything else. Okay. Um, I prefer to have my bones broken sometimes and suffer years of um, torture uh, uh, from my community. Mm. What they can do with their mouths. Mm. 
gone. And people in the gay community when some years ago, I mean, maybe still now, but certainly 20, 30 years ago, malicious gossip was a pretty bad thing, yes. Yeah, certainly right in my school. That's right. Um, that's yeah. karma from a past life. Yeah, right? no, um, You're not just born gay because of... Um, you may have had four lives as a woman or something. It's because also there's certain types of karma you have to experience in that um, uh, just, um, form of psychology uh, in relationship to the community around you. I've got yes. a question, mm-hmm. but Anne can go first. Have we finished? Yeah. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was about um, the relationship between zapping and... We sort of had this discussion a few weeks ago about um, often we say we're cleansing our karma when we zap or transmuting it. And there was discussion about whether we were actually sort of lessening the impact of our karma when we zapped. And, um, um, so you're saying, for instance, you're feeling bad from a certain event or a, a, a feeling or an emotional response to something, therefore mm. you zap that. Are you cleansing the karma or are you just fixing up your psychology? Yeah, and it often gets bandied around that we're it cleansing is both. our karma. You're cleansing your karma as you're fixing up your psychology. Yeah. You will not fix uh, cleanse your karma until your psychology is fixed up. Because if you don't fix up your psychology, you're going to create more karma, and it goes round, round, round cycles. It's a merry-go-round until you get off, and the getting off is fixing up your psychology. Mm. The zapping is um, cleansing some of your psychic karma when you're busy projecting energies um, laced with negative um, thought streams um, with mantric power at other people. Right, um, playing witchcraft, sorcery, um, and um, a good example I often use is the Aboriginal with his death bone. If he yeah. sort of points it at somebody, that Aboriginal will die. If he points it at you, you're not going to just laugh at the person and go walk away. There's, there's a difference. Um, it's got to do with the, the psychic state of the individual concerned and the societies which you lived in. Um, people forget in this particular um, society we live in, which is Western empiricism, based on Western empiricism, that 150 years ago, people lived in a different world. They lived in a psychic world. Mm. In, in Europe, of course, they were gripped with um, um, Victorian sort of, uh, shall we call it, uh, puritanical sort of Christian sort of ethos to go around um, the world and convert everyone with their missionary zeal uh, to become good little Christians and believe in uh, vicarious atonement and things like that. But you go further and further back and you have more and more magic as ways to... um, um, resolves disputes. Um, you are jilted. Uh, well, is a good way of getting rid of your um, your uh, husband's wife or whatever, or the new girlfriend. Uh, uh, it's just simply do some magic, attack the sex organs, you know, get them while they're in bed with um, evil spells, um, add a bit of poison if need be, 
Um, a little bit of poison also helps. Uh, there's, there's, there's lots of um, apothecaries in those days around that you can buy whatever you needed um, to assist your magic. Mm. That was the mechanism of um, resolving the spirits. And of course, men had another good way, which was dueling. Mm. Um, a couple of guns um, pointed at each other's sort of um, hearts or whatever and go bang, bang, and if they were lucky, they, one of them would walk off or sword fights and so forth. Yeah, it's... Um, but behind all of that often was also people doing all sorts of um, psychic games. And that's just in the West, but when you go to India and, and then you go into a rural sort of um, den of sorcery, mm. you know, backed with yoga, it's rampant. It's only in this materialistic West um, Western sort of based um, society we live in now, that people have forgotten that that was rampant. And anyone that's on the spiritual path has, has to learn to zap. There's no way to enlightenment but that. And that's what you have to teach them. If they don't zap, they can sort of mumble any types of mantras they want any types of prayers and bow in front of all the Buddhist shrines and read all the doctrines, but they're not going to get very far because they're not cleansing karma, the karma that they created. And most of the people that were busy doing the spells were disciples. They had the knowledge. How is it that you are cleansing that karma by zapping like in contrast to, uh, well, yeah, there's there's that. So, for example, I think this was Dorje's question, yeah. right? So let's say you 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 um, you stabbed someone, and and then you're having this experience of being stabbed. It's probably not usually you that obvious. When it comes to zapping, if you stab someone you're going to have to suffer the physical plane, karma of being stabbed. Well, no, but then this is where we... Okay, let me further explain mm. then. Um, that where we got in our discussion was that your karma, you cleanse in increasingly subjective, that was a point mm. that Adrian made, mm. and subtle ways. So let's say you stabbed someone, or maybe in one life you get stabbed, but then there was the residual karma of, of the further pain that you caused to the family of the person that you stabbed, and therefore no, you not, still... Not so much. The, the pain caused by the family of the person that you stabbed is, in a sense, their own karma. They have not fixed up their emotions. Well... Um, it comes back to people being responsible for their own emotionality. Um, they're responsible for the emotionality. There is, for instance, if you stab someone, they died. Yeah. Um, the family is grieving. Eventually they get over that grief. You get stabbed, you die. See, what I'm trying to say is that um, the, the karma, for instance, of killing someone is that you get killed. Okay, so then, okay, then next yeah, question yeah. along this line yeah. is that if you have to experience your karma to cleanse it, then mm. 
technically through zapping, you're offsetting the experience of karma. No, not in this way. So would you... Not in this way. And then... And the, and the I'll try to explain it like this. Okay. I'll try to explain it like this. There's physical plane karma, emotional yes. karma, mental karma. The, the people out there who are not psychics, who are not disciples, who are not practicing yoga, they're busy um, getting drunk, biffing, bashing, stealing, lying, cheating, doing all of those things, right? Not all but, that bad. Well, some of them are loving each other and hugging each other at the same time. They all are manifesting a different type of karma. In a former future life, they will fix up their karma by being stolen from, lied from, cheated from, hugged from, made love to. Huh? However, if you, on the other hand, get yourself a voodoo doll, make yourself a nice doll out of wax, mm-hmm. you... Now, align yourself through your invocations and magical practices with some really nasty DB. You focus upon your victim and you put the pin in. Mm-hmm. All of your energy, with the DB's help, is directed at causing pain to that person, even death. You suffer the karma when you, later on, you have to zap. So because what you're zapping is the DB with whom you align yourself with plus the overcoming of the occult or the psychic energy you generated within yourself when you perform the magic that caused the harm to another person in thought, word or deed. So all zapping is the cleansing of magical karma, psychic karma. Yeah. black magic it's not yes. recreatable in our material all of it all of it whatever wow, it's it's psychic karma it's the karma of you being witches and so forth and it goes all the way back through if you were born as moon chain humanity all the way back to the moon chain and if you came from an earlier cycle it goes even further back And the karma is long But it it wasn't necessarily conscious magic as well, i.e. in the past, if you simply, let's say that um, there was a woman or man over there who you were jealous of, who was acquiring more attention than you, more success, and in your thoughts, uncontrolled thoughts, you thought, oh, I hope they suffer something Mm -hmm. negative, or or you just kind of... (coughs) Projected negative And that sort of thing here, you can do that sort of thing. But your ability to actually harm or hurt that person is limited according to the state of your Ah, ignorance and Mm. the extent that you have that you're not generating occult power. If you awaken chakra Mm -hmm. in a yogic way, and you know, in a magical way or yogic way, whatever, you're waking the potency of chakras and you're aligning yourself with entities um, as a consequence and you project through thought and word okay. the potency of that chakra um, in such a way that it affects another human being psychically to cause harm to them or harm to their spiritual evolution 
by controlling their thoughts or manipulating their minds or their emotions. That is what you are suffering the karma for. I'll give you one another example. For instance, you are there busy being a nice guru, quote-unquote. And you see around you some lustful or desirous individuals. There's a lot of... this is sex magic. They stimulate the sexual organs of the the person, for instance, a woman, often in the case of a male, give into their minds images. And behind them, of course, is Anubai or other DB helping. When you sort of project in that sort of way, you are manifesting karmic volition of which there are quite serious consequences. Um, and it's in two ways, the projection of the sexual energy and the projection of the imagery and the evocation or invocation of dark brotherhood. Okay, so therefore, in regards to the previous example I gave, um, that if you, if as an individual you were um, generating thought forms and emotions, negative emotions about another person, but it's not at all couched in a in a potent and skillful, psychic way, yes. skillful quote unquote psychic way, then if you're experiencing that in this present life, that's an experience of your sanskaras, that's not an attack. Yes. Correct. So however so that to me this this clarification kind of wipes out a whole lot of experiences mm. as mm. sanskari yeah. rather than yeah. attack. Mm. But so in the case, next point in this regard, then in the case if those sanskaras arise though, is that then, is there any DB involved? Are DB then attracted to that to mm. try and stop you from then transmuting those sanskaras? Of course they are attracted to that mm. because of the fact that you are now a disciple. You're awakening perceptions. Um, and you have a whole host of diabetes associated with you from your past um, um, alliances with them um, when you were involved in the path of, or well, used to some left-hand practices. Those DB that you aligned with in those in those days now have um, a lot of power related to you, and they have got carte blanche because they are your friends to try to influence you to go their way again. Yeah. You actually have to tell them. The whole process is educational. They are trying to get you back where you were once, mm. and you are trying to say, no, I've made my stand. This power I have is stronger than yours. Taste it. Here it is. Zap. Eventually they'll convert. If they don't convert, it's H3 and next life, yeah. and, uh, next sources. So back to the previous question regarding the psychic karma. Mm -hmm. So you have manifested magical, black magic, ill intent to other beings in your past life, and you've caused them suffering. That's right. Then the still question remains then, when that karma's coming back, if you were zapping it, now... Does that still allow you to experience it? Well, yes, you're still experiencing it. So 
the zapping is that then trying to nullify any future karma with these because you had to experience what they brought back to you because that's the psychic experience you gave someone else so why the zapping the zapping is necessary because you have to send back along the channels the same channels as it was generated the light the opposing energy in order to cleanse to cleanse the that which was generated even though you've experienced it in an auric, mental, emotional sense, you also have to put out the opposite and equalise. You must energy. seal the doors that generated in the first place. Otherwise, you'll generate it again and again and again. The doors must be closed that caused it. So the experiencing of, of it is just simply a reawakening of ancient doors of a certain type of energy qualification, an emotional state, that was once the norm for you, and now no longer is desirable. Therefore you have to close the doors through the use of your will, and through the generation of counter, um, I you can say the word light, but I will use the term divas the cleansing divas to control the unruly divas that were generated earlier on. The unruly divas are also allied by with DB. So um, the two are synonymous in many ways. The DB, have, as I said, they have... Because when you are generating those energies, you and those DB were brothers in arms. You were on the same side doing the same thing. You made a pact with them. It's what's in the um, old books is called selling the soul to the devil. You wrote on a dotted line and you said, I will sell my soul to you. And you give me this and this and this and this and this and I'll give you my soul. And what you wanted was sexual power, uh, monetary power, military power, the ability to manipulate other people's lives, political power, religious power. And for those things, you allied yourself with certain entities that said, we will give you those. You just need to do this and this and this and this. For us. Is this part of what that line in the Great Invocation is about sealing the door where evil dwells? That's what this is really talking That's about. That's what it's it? really talking about. So you zap the energies back and seal that door. That's right. It's for each of you individually, for us as a group, and for planet. the planet as a whole. Yeah. That is the reason why somebody like me, I can't zap for, for most of you most of the time. I simply don't have the karma. Yeah. I don't have the alliance with those DB. I can look at what's happening to you. I can say, this is what's happening to you. Occasionally I can help you, but I'll only help you after you've done the, the, the right thing in regards to yourself, and I may clear up the residual. Uh, but each individual has to experience the karma, the pain and the suffering they engendered to the full length of whatever it is they did. Everyone else around, when they are zapping for someone, they're holding back the mass of the DB who will try to infiltrate and try to make that individual do the same thing more, mm -hmm. longer, continue on the agony. Mm -hmm. We're saying, stay back, DB, let our disciple here, our brethren, our brother, our sister, 
wallop what caused this particular attack, what you call attack, um, by fixing up the psychology, first and foremost, closing the door, and you close the door by expelling the invader. The invader is the DB that's utilizing the door that you opened up in that pact with those particular DB in a former life cycle. If you don't make that pact, can't, can they get inside you? If you don't make the pact, you're just average human being. The average human beings in the whole, they're oblivious to this whole world. You're, they are being manipulated um, by DB, but they're oblivious to what has happened. We're talking about um, discipleship, people with certain hoary antiquity with magic, with yoga, with um, spiritual development one way or the other. So is it possible to progress spiritually and never make such a pact with a DB, never go that path? Well, you'll find that people in the early stages, it's like a child, a child's emotional. They make mistakes, and the early spiritual evolution of all disciples, it's the same. They make the mistakes. They have to learn from that. Mm. It's not a bad thing in itself. It's just that when the time comes for closing the doors, you can either keep the doors open for a long time and harbor and, and, and agonize and agonize and agonize and agonize and agonize masses of zapping, or you can fix up your psychology quickly and go on to the next step. That's, those are your two choices. And if you don't do it in this life, then you'll make the mistakes and then you'll agonize and agonize and agonize the next life. And so it goes on until eventually it's resolved and you go higher in the domains of light. And there's two types of zapping. And fortunately for you guys, at this stage, you have not yet fully um, experienced a type of zapping that is out of your physical bodies. When you're fully awakened, out of your physical, physical bodies, in your astral bodies, and you're experiencing in your astral body a full-on psychic attack. Right now, um, you have dulled consciousness because you're living it via um, an extraneous, uh, a dulling mechanism, which is your physical bodies. Mm-hmm. But there is a time when you're awakened, when you'll actually have to deal with this form of attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is another, another domain altogether. But you'll have the complementary... Um, potency as well. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> and you'll have um, us as helpers. So there's a stage of your discipleship when you'll have uh, members of, the, uh, of um, the Diva Kingdom and Bright Hierarchy guiding you to help you through that particular difficult phase. So in regards to zapping as a group, to have an effect in your zapping with someone else's attack would you have to have been directly involved in the black magic that initiated the of attack? Of course, good evolution. It's wonderful stuff. Couldn't it you from... just be generating positive karma in the now, or would your light, would your will just not have effect because you don't have the karmic roots for it you to You don't have the down? karmic roots. That's like me. Mm-hmm. I do not zap for you in the hole. Mm. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very, very high initiate indeed. Yeah. I, you know, I don't really need the karmic kudos if you want to look at it that. But the fact is, I don't have the karma. I'm not here to zap for you. I'm here to train you how to 
um, zap how to overcome your psychology, mm. um, which is the root cause of it all, and to teach you how not to do it again. Mm. Um, the fact that the DB are there, they're teaching you what it is that you did wrong, and the effect of of how you manifested in the past. You know through the pains, the sufferings that they're giving you, what those effects are. You learn through flashbacks in your past lives what it is you did wrong. Um, the the DPO uses a prime educational tool for you, and your brothers and sisters that have similar karma as you um, are here to help. Now, often you've you are black magicians together. Mm. You are a part of a black coven or whatever, but it doesn't necessarily follow such. It simply means that you've done similar type of karma. And therefore, you can fix up your karma by helping your brother or your sister get through the attacks. Um, as you're doing so, you're working off some of your own karma because you're involved and you're sending energy. Um, I mean, you could have worked with the same DB from a completely different location at a different time. Those DB are very virulent in their Of course, workings. of They're course, it's, it's like that. Yeah. Um, it's a little bit, but it's all involved in group karma. Yeah. You are here together now, being it's trained really by right. me, because you're a group, and um, there's close connections between two or three of you, much more than, say, two or three different ones of you, and it's all based on ray lines and so forth. Those um, you know, first-rate types often have um, stronger karma than others, but we can see the second-rate types are very, very susceptible to, and you're buying witches. A fun, 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 fun. Um, but, yes. So it's from past life affiliations. I want to remind you that ancient Egypt, for instance, recorded history of ancient Egypt for four and a half thousand years. Astral plane magic for four and a half thousand years. <laughs> That's just a really hard Count how many lives you might have had. The Roman Empire. Yeah. The Roman Empire. What was that? Oh, wait a minute. That was a solar plexus center. The whole Mediterranean base was the solar plexus center at its full height. What do you think those gladiator matches was all about with everyone cheering on and all the people being slaughtered? What do you think the karma of that was? If you were ever in such a crowd watching people being slaughtered and seeing it as a, 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 as a, a spectacle for yourself, you share in this DB karma. What about if you were in the French Revolution and watching those heads cut off? Now, how many thousand people do you think were actually on the streets cheering as the French nobility or whoever else it was um, uh, had their heads picked out of the basket and um, shown to everyone. That is DB karma, and there's psychic karma here as well. You don't just—it's not just the person that, that pulled the guillotine that um, that um, has that karma. It's everyone there in the crowd that revels in that experience. Mm -hmm. Somebody like me, I would be in some room somewhere crying for shame of these people. But you think about it. What about all of those inquisitional trials? All the mass fear, the witchcraft trials all over Europe. How many million witches were burnt or tortured? And 
spreadeth all over the rest of the world. Shamanism, it goes on. Even nowadays in India, there's um, women still being sort of killed as witches um, through ignorance and poverty and ignorance and stupidity of the, the um, culture that they're in. So you understand the vast extent of this type of karma. With you saying that um, there's, there's physical plane karma mm. and you have to experience your physical plane karma direct, mm. ex- exactly as it was um, exercised. Mm. But then when you say when it comes, then there's, then there's psychic karma, mm. which is a result of black magic. Mm. Practices. Yeah, willful direction willful of energies direction in order energies. to cause harm, um, or malicious gossip, or something of this nature. Okay, so malicious gossip, well, that kind of then, because then I'm thinking, well, but then you're saying that emotional and mental responses, reactions, are wholly the consequence of the individual. In yes. other words, but a leader has no karma for whipping up the fears of the masses of people they govern. No, the leader has karma for that. The leader consciously chooses in order to produce a certain effect Mm. that um, puts that leader in a position of power uh, which he lusts for and desires because it produces such and such and such and such benefits for the leader. The leader is responsible for that. um, Those people that are also whipped up, the brainless, mindless people, for instance, that will vote in John Howard for the third or fourth time, even though he lied to the public and was caught as a liar, they suffer in the group karma of his consequences of what he did. What did he do? He brought Australia to war. He helped Australians murder thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people in Iraq. Australia as a whole have that karma. Okay, it just seems to me that, just to clarify the earlier statement that you said about, about about the impacts upon our emotional and mental life. Okay, I'll go, go to that. There's group karma. See, it's, it's a little bit complicated. Mm-hmm. We've got individual karma, group karma, mm-hmm. national karma, international karma, and we can go further if we want, cosmic karma. So there's different types of karma. For instance, I'll give you another sort of... Um, so people, people affect, stimulate each other's emotions, yeah. right? Now, because they get swayed emotionally to do stupid things, such as elect John Howard, right? now they're feeding each other's emotions. The way that they suffer some of that karma, they'll suffer karma also in a different way, but we'll just give group emotions where people are just absolutely over-the-top emotional. They're weakening their bodies, they're throwing out all these divas through their throat centers, through their SP, and then along comes the old flu. Or some other virulent sort of thing, such as cancer or Mm -hmm. AIDS. You've heard of these diseases? Or famine. You've heard of famine? Yeah. Or typhoon. A hurricane. Or a landslide. We can go on and on and on with the way that the divas use to fix up people's stupidities. 
to do with the emotional bodies. So it crystallizes into the physical plane. Crystallizes into physical, but it produces emotional responses. Is anyone? I don't know. I've never seen anyone die of AIDS, um, uh, of cancer, or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you can be sure that these people that are suffering um, through the sickness or disease are suffering emotionality. So they're suffering the karma of emotionality rather mm. than killing someone in a way that was like cancer-like, for example. That's right, that's right. That's one way that the karma can work itself. Mm -hmm. um, another way, for instance, if you've killed somebody or you've maimed somebody in a former life, for instance, in a war, um, you're driving your car along the road and suddenly you, somebody, somebody thumps into you. You come out and the hospital sort of um, stretch into the hospital and there's, you know, they're, they're operating on you. And um, for the next um, six months or more, you're in, you know, in traction or whatever, right? That's karma for killing somebody in a war or maiming someone in a war or something like that. You will suffer that type of karma. How many people die on the roads? 100,000 a year in India. Yeah, what about mm. Australia? Mm. No, much less. <laughs> yeah, happen. but you multiply that to make up the population of India by working up the, you know, sort of make it by 100,000 or something like that. It's a difference in population. It's something like 50 times more. And you'll be the same per head of population. What I'm trying to say is that these are all the ways that karma works. People don't understand it. Oh, you're walking down the road and then suddenly a log falls on you. Mm. Um, from the tree, or you know, you know, pile it down. You know, <laughs> there's there's a mass of different ways you can now see that it's um, all karma. Sorry to interrupt. Does that mean the brick falling from the sky is always karma? It's never an accident. Never an accident. Or oh, the lightning. Lightning never strikes twice. <laughs> um, you know, a lightning can can sort of hit a tree of a whole pile of people on there and kill everyone except one. Our lightning can hit somebody, and it's like Benjamin Franklin. You know, you've all heard the story mm. of him, sort of with his key, and um, have you heard the story? Oh, good, you've actually heard the story. Yeah, flying his kite in, 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 the, in the, the way with the proof electricity. Um, he got a mild shock, but four or five or six experimenters after him got killed doing the same experiment. It's something like, I don't know how many sort of um, tens of thousands of volts goes through, through that particular kite string. He was exceedingly lucky. Um, what made him survive probably was his good karma. <laughs> and so what made the others die was not so good karma. But you can see that karma is a, a little bit more... You know, it's, it's, it's not so difficult to understand. What you've done, you must pay back. And yeah. people do not understand, the disciples of the world do not understand that they've done an awful lot of psychic crimes against humanity and they ought to start paying it off. Zoo zapping. Otherwise, they have no chance of becoming an enlightened being. A middle reptile sector didn't just sit there twiddling his thumbs trying to sort of... Um, uh, gain nirvana, absolute blank state, and that was what it's all about. They did. They worked, you know, continuously in their meditations, and a lot of it was zapping.
I mean, that all makes perfect sense. You can experience your physical karma without zapping. You can experience your your mental and emotional karma without zapping. It's going to get you so far. But because society was so magically based in Atlantis, everyone, without exception, was involved in some form of magic. You've got to cleanse that stuff. So you can't do that without zapping. It's just, it's kind of obvious, really, That's if you look at it. That's right, and from Atlantis onwards. Yeah. And magic was the way it was before this age of materialism. It just yeah. simply was the way, and still is in some parts of the world. Yeah. Karma is the law of cause and effect. Can an effect also generate karma? If I hit someone on the street in a former life, and someone hit me in the street in this life so as to cancel out the previous karma, is the person who hit me generating karma for themselves because they caused me anguish, or were they just an agent of karma in the moment? They were agent of karma in the moment, but because they hit you, they may be generating more karma for themselves, and probably will be. Because okay. then he says, and if they um, were an agent of karma in the moment, does that then mean that their free will has been undermined? No, because they hit you, you'll find that they've created karma. Um, you've got the you've got the choice to hit somebody or not. If somebody is busy bashing me up, I may sort of submit and just let me be pummeled to the ground. I may sort of um, um, defend myself. It's my choice, right? Um, but if I go around hitting people in the face, I'm going to create for myself a lot of karma. It means somebody that I've hit in the face, they may have fixed up some of their karma by being walloped. And that person can be walloped in other ways to fix up their karma. For instance, they can be hit by a falling branch. They can suddenly slip and fall on and land on their face, um, or like Angie did the other way, sort of land on the back of her head. This is um, yeah, or walk into a glass door. I've done that. I'm I'm guilty of that one. Um, uh, These are ways of fixing up karma. The divas associated. Um, which are the lords of karma, just simply make it that that's going to happen to you. And however it happens to you, you are absolved. You've done it. You, know, you can walk away. You know, you, you've got your, your bloody nose or your, you know, your sort of um, bashed in head or whatever it is. Um, you've, 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 you're free. But if somebody willfully goes to, to wallop you in the face, then that person is creating karma. It's as simple as that. They, they're going along, they're riding along a sankara from a past life that, where they were violent. Generally it was a soldier life. There's a lot of men specifically that when they're young, they live out their soldier lives. You know, they want to biff and bash everything that's, um, that's around. It's uh, just part of their, I don't know what it is, growing up, but that's it. They, they, they suffer the karma. It's it's um in even even a child you know a child is learning to steal to not to steal um, I don't know if any of you sort of remember sort of taking from your mum sort of some uh, some money to to buy a lolly or something an ice cream and when um, your mum wasn't looking there um, she told you not to have that thing. Uh, but out of spite for it, that how to do it, you're rushing to the shop. Actually, she would, she would give us the money to go and shop, and we would steal everything she wanted and keep the money. Oh, <laughs> my sure. gosh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then you wonder why later on you lose some of your things mm. that you really liked. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. It was just from a supermarket. It doesn't matter. I mean, the, yeah. what I'm sort of saying is the children, even the children, even through ignorance, yeah. they manifest activities for which they must pay karma. It's it's simple thing. It's it's a simple equation. The children are born into the bodies of their mothers um, because there's the karma. There's certain karma and certain karmic lesson that the mother and the father have to offer to the child that the child demands. And that includes in your case where you may have been abused when you're young. Um, it's still the karma because you did that sort of thing when you were a father in a former life. And that can be emotional abuse. Emotional abuse, physical abuse, psychological abuse, sexual abuse. That's why it I all must be paid, paid back. back. That's why I just, I, I, I'm still sitting with clarifying this thing about about emotional and mental karma because say for example say you're in a relationship with someone and um, you don't fully really respect and appreciate that person you go cold on them and you're not really consistent and then in some later life you're in a relationship and you have to experience someone being like that to you hmm. that's emotional karma there's no physical violence there's no physical that's harm right. done to one another that's right and you'll be born in dumb parents stupid parents hmm. violent parents loving parents um, you know people parents that are full of loving mind and therefore um, abuse you through, through hmm. excessive um, letting you get away with anything because they just don't know how to look up children and so forth in different societies you can be born in in an Aboriginal society, a black society, a gay there's a gay oh, boy in a in a you know, heterosexual sort of you know, in an ochre family. Yeah, ochre family something real bad. <laughs> That is right. That is right. <laughs> Does emotional karma have to play out on the physical plane, or can it play out on the astral? It plays out emotionally. Mm. Um, you can. It's all astral, what we call astral. But sure, you can have psychic karma too, um, where you can experience some real health states on the astral. People, for instance, that have bad drug drug experiences—that's what they're experiencing. Mm. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the karma works out in in many, many different ways. Um, but you can see quite clearly the agent of karma need not necessarily be the one that you inflicted pain to. Yeah. Mm. It can um, come from any direction. So it's not like a barter. Right. very important point, and that so one. <laughs> you don't have to physically incarnate necessarily to work out mental, emotional karma. Mm -hmm. You don't have to physically incarnate. There's health states that, that you can incarnate into. They'll do that as well. And people <laughs> carry their health states around mm -hmm. with them. Physical plane is a health state. It's the... <laughs> right? Because they are not fixing up their psychological problems. It can be a heaven state if you be. do fix up your you psychology. Up. Those hell and heaven states, can they exist solely on the astral? Yes, of course, that's okay. where they do exist, astral mental. And that's the basis of all the world's um, hell um, and heaven sort of mythologies, and they're not mythologies, they're for real. Mm. Um, if you're addicted to something, 
don't know what you're addicted to. I don't know what. Uh, some people are addicted to sex. Some people are addicted to chocolate. Some people are addicted to smoking. Other people are addicted to certain types of um, lifestyle attitudes. When you die, all that happens is your body drops away. You're still addicted. And but now without a body, that becomes real hell because you can't be satiated for quite a while until those energy patterns die away. That is part of the problem of addiction. That's the reason why your disciples are learning to overcome your addictions. Do they only die away through the intense suffering of a hell state? They die away because um, you have created an addiction, and that addiction has to die away through the um, lessening of satiation or lessening of, of the e energy um, vibration or demand of the body concerned and the emotions that are attached to it. Is there any possible way for an addiction to be satiated on the astral plane? Not satiated, um, cleansed. Only cleansed? Only cleansed. Not satisfied or fulfilled in the... Not in an astral body. There is mechanism once you can consciously travel astrally, you can create karma. The black magicians do this with the astral body. And psychic karma which is what we're talking about, cleansing psychic your psychic karma, your karma of attacking people astrally and so forth. I mean, can I give an example? Say the person dies and they're a sex addict, can they yeah. then fulfill that sex addiction on the astral? Some try. Or for the alcoholic or the drug addict, no, do those substances they, they, exist on they the astral? No, substances don't exist, but for instance, this is something that women um, sometimes have to be aware of. Um, and men maybe too, I don't know. There's a really beautiful man here that, that um, has some stalker really desirous of them. Um, but some women certainly have a lot of men desirous of them um, sexually. And believe me, um, some women will have uh, a male figure in an astral body um, seducing them um, in sleep or just as they wake up they'll have this terrible experience of some entity over them and that woman's going to have to learn to zap that being away um, but that astral entity is trying to satisfy the sexual urge through a physical person not another astral entity they can't do it through an astral entity so there's no such thing as astral sex no such thing per se as astral sex there's a form of simulation of astral sex uh, um, but it basically doesn't satiate the physical type. It doesn't. There's no physical body. It satiates the image making. If it's yeah. if it's largely a rom emotionally romantic desire, yeah, it mm. could satiate that. It can satiate that, but they have a form of empathy of vibration, which is um, a exhilarating um, form of um, interrelationship which you could call a type of sexuality, but it's not physical um, sex urge. It's an exhilarating exchange of energies. Um, an alcoholic, for instance, if you go to any pub um, and you open up your astral eyes, you'll see that it's filled up with astral entities um, trying to scoff down their beer or grab hold of beer because they're addicted. And they hang on to their forms as long as they can in order to try to seek it, and they just can't. It's Is there any food on the astral plane and eating? No, um, but there's simulation again. All simulation. Yeah. Simulation, And yes. the souls that are experiencing these simulations, 
are they sort of experiencing them and going, hey, this isn't right, or are they thinking that they're actually having the experience? Some of them, in, when they first leave their bodies, are because they're etheric rather than astral, will actually be experiencing certain energization as they partake of the food. This was the whole basis of the Egyptian religion and others at the time. Mm. Okay. If, say, I physically kill 50 people, this, his question was based in this just looks like you'd be trapped forever in samsara you'd never get off the wheel does that mean you actually have to be killed 50 times 50 lives, 50 oh, deaths yeah. I, I like this question I've <laughs> thought about it a bit over, over my, my lifetime I do think mm. about these types of things sometimes I mean let, let's, let's look at it another way I mean for instance if I sort of threw poison into say the metropolitan water supply and, and poisoned oh, okay. 100,000 people mm. Um, you know, there's no way I'm going to be able to fix up uh, to die a hundred thousand times to fix up that number of deaths or, yeah. or sort of George Bush can sort of um, die a million times to fix up the number of people he slaughtered mm. in, um, in Iraq, Iraq. Well, he's more like Hitler because he's got people around him and he's got group karma. But if I literally buy a gun, they all have the same group karma. Well, all the individuals that went into influencing that being, leading him Mm. to poison the river. They all share. Um, So Mm. they all suffer the same type of karma. It's... So in the case of me going and buying a gun and shooting 50 people, you're saying all the people that were involved with building up that emotional mental state that made me do it and uh, sharing that karma share that karma to a degree yes but you have the responsibility they have certain responsibility for instance those in America that keep the gun laws alive are responsible collectively for the harm that the gun laws do in America they cannot escape it they must suffer they must suffer their share of it and their share of it is coming. Uh, you know, how many people in America get shot a year? Something like 30,000? Yeah, 40, or 40,000. Um, so you can see that there's um, certain types of karma where 30 or 40,000 these people can be killed. India alone contains enough people in absolute poverty to swallow the entire population of America for them to fix up their karma that way. There's at least 300 million people on the uh, poverty line in India. You've seen it, you know. And um, then go to Africa, go to South America. Um, It's phenomenal. Um, And there's where our people that create this type of karma go to, if not to a war. So just on this um, point of these like deaths that so you're saying, so if I shoot one person, I'm going to get oh, shot. Yeah, I haven't finished this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then if I suddenly go out and shoot 50 people, you're saying I probably wouldn't be shot 50 times and die 50 lives. At yeah. what point does that change, and what, how is that possible if, yeah. so, if karma is so exact? How do you um, then transmit the karma? It's, it's got to do with the amount of pain you cause. Right. Um, it's got to do with the, with the amount of pain you cause. Uh, the intensity of the emotion and also the psychological conditioning 
Um, in other words, the situation that existed in the society of which you are part, that enabled you, or that coerced you, or that assisted you in the shooting of those people. See, you will definitely have to suffer um, being shot. Yeah or killed in that sort of way. It doesn't need to have to be by a bullet. Yeah. You'll definitely have to suffer that. And you may suffer that a few times. Yeah. But what you will do for quite a while is suffer psychically the trauma of that number of people you shot when they died. See, look at it this way. Um, look at it this way. A bullet enters your brain. That's just a sort of a thing, right? Mm -hmm. You've shot people, a number of people, in a number of different ways. It causes a pain. Yeah. It's a shock, it's a pain. They, they, they land on the ground, they bleed to death. Um, the residual suffering may not be all that great. Yeah. They it must can have be, had the karma. They also, some, most of them have the karma. So it's the residual suffering is not all that great. Um, they have left their bodies and it was probably the karma for them to be killed and to leave their body at that time. The death itself is not so great a thing, right? Um, you know, so most of us... returning equivalent pain, you might experience 50 lots of that in one life that you just suffer out, so 50 yes, years of... 50 torment. lots of that. Right, it's, okay. it's, it's complicated like, because some of the people may have been slated to die or they may have the karma of sh hmm. having done that to you in the past life as well. Like You're not always starting with every individual from scratch. Either. But the, the fact is this anyway, that that suffering that you caused for those 50 people you have to experience. You will die once or twice, or whatever it is, but the fact is that you're going to manifest here and here and here and here, whatever it is, the pains, the aches. <laughs> um, the, the so you experience basically going through the death without actually dying. That is right. So speak, it's like, like um, I've yeah, had right. to suffer massive throat cleansing karma mm -hmm. um, from aeons ago when I was a black magician and I mm. um, manifested a ritual which meant um, stabbing people in their throats. Mm. I'm still suffering that karma. Right? Mm. And this was long before any of you were actually, except for Adrian maybe, um, human beings. Mm. It's just so long ago, but so many people were butchered in this sort of way in, um, in karma. It's, it's like, mm. like um, going, so let's go back to another terrible, horrific scene which we talked about with you once. Mm. Uh, back in ancient sort of um, Aztec, um, you know, the, the, the priests with their, their, their daggers and they oh, cut yeah. out the hearts of, um, of um, the Incas. The Incas, yes, yeah, and the, the, the Aztecs. Aztecs, oh, Aztecs was part of it, but it's mostly Aztecs. Mm. You know, sometimes in one ceremony or something like that, you know, it's, it's thousands of people were slaughtered in mm. one day, mm. one or two priests doing it. Mm. Well, the very big ceremonies. It, and then the throbbing heart would be shown up, mm. the body would be thrown down, and they'd do the next one. They're mostly prisoners. The wars that they had in that part of the world was to collect the prisoners for this purpose. If you were actually captured, then that was your likely outcome. Mm. We won't go into the, 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 the full horror of, of the inhumanity of man, but what I'm trying to get to is that you can imagine that later on 
the priests and some of those people involved in that whole chain of things will suffer massive heart pains. Mm. Um, you heart, know, attacks. heart attacks. They'll die many times of heart attacks. Heart will be weak for many, 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 many lives. Mm. Um, because that, those divas that, um, that they cause to... They have all jumped into that person's body, weakened that part of their... Um, their their chest or whatever. Inconceivable, really. Oh, yes, it is, but that's what mm. people do. You go to the moon, moon changing money, whatever it was all about. Terrible karma of this type of thing. Aztecs were just sort of, um, just a remnant of, of the sort of thing that was happening there and ritualistically. Um, so when people say, oh, I don't have much karma, or, you know, you... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I see people begging in the streets of India like that, you know, I can see often the karma that they, what they've done. You know, it, it makes you sort of not be so pitiful for them, or you know, not so charitable because you see what they've done to have the end result of that. Okay. Yeah, the multi-millionaires in in in, in, um, in America and Australia, send them to India the next lives and see what they do in the slums there. Um, yeah, do they actually learn from having no money and have to beg and you know, um, or um, will they steal from everyone else? Is it possible for a soul to incarnate at two different places on no. the planet at the same time? No. no. One soul, one individual. There's uh, a concept of tuku, um, where a being such as some of my students here being trained, they can willingly vacate their body for a period of time to allow a great being to utilize it, to enter into it and utilize it for. So what when the utopian society manifests and we're living in um, equitous, harmonious um, civilizations, how will people cleanse their karma then? Or is this the, oh, the, the this two is the are completely of cleansing karma. It goes on and on. The two like are completely that. embedded until individuals and collectives cleanse their karma. We can't have uh, equitous, just social systems. Oh, yes, this is part of it. And so yet, without social systems and equitous justice. Yes, you understand we're heading for world war because there's masses of karma to be cleansed before the new age can happen. World war must happen before the new age, otherwise the new age can't happen there's because there's too much karma. Mm terrible karma that people have to learn what not to do. The American sort of society has to be flattened for starters. I think we can see that, like we've said, that the new age will be a, a time of, you know, there has to be just as much suffering then as there is. No, there doesn't have to be that much suffering. Those with the worst of the karma will leave the planet. They're going to another planet that's forming. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, with a new human being, a new humanity that um, um, will grow to a certain stage when they can incarnate into it, and they'll learn with that. Um, the remnant, all those who can take one step onwards in the evolutionary journey, can go to the new age. That's the way it will be. And after they've cleansed a lot of the worst of the materialistic karma, you are being trained to be their teachers by cleansing your karma now. This way. So Good all, way. The, all the people that are involved in um, executing the destruction of the war will 
necessarily have to go to the next planet then the next globe well all the people that press the the the, the bombs and everyone that tells them to press the 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 triggers etc etc as just generated karma then they go to the next globe and they may end it up in, in, in the Pluto scheme and up in the 8th sphere waiting yeah. for the next solar system to come on as well yeah. um, this is the beginning of the ending of days right and um, so choose your side carefully <laughs> say the consequences are terribly the separation of the ship between the goats as it's called and believe me um, the earth itself is becoming a sacred planet what is becoming a sacred planet mean in part? It's ethereralizing. Do you understand the meaning of this? You've got to kick out your DVDs. Yes, the DVDs are going. Um, but also that the physical plane is becoming less physical. Mm. It's material, uh, becoming um, more and more ethereal until eventually it's astral. And eventually all that's left here is an astral globe. And then mental and so forth. And so it's just obscuration. This is what's happening. Um, but it'll take, of course, quite a while, yes. Mm-hmm. But the new age this, um, that's appearing, um, if the new energies that come in and the new type of disciples, the new type of living style, means we become more and more ifric. And ifric vision will start to be the norm for humanity and then astral vision. And believe me, when this astral vision comes, we need some really powerful disciples on the physical plane to stop these this humanity is from again reverting to a, a new form of Atlanteanism. Yeah, that's what I was mm. When uh, the planet does ascend to etheric and astral levels, will it still have a physical counterpart? or No, the physical starts to become more ethereal. So, so when okay. humans develop etheric or astral vision, Essentially, they will be on the astral plane. They start to become astral, yes. Okay. More and more astral is in this physical. It's um, part of the, the process. Of course, it's going to take a bit of time, but um, part of your discipleship has got to do with that particular process. Um, karma eventually means lessening of, your, of the grip to the physical. Mm-hmm. All forms of karma? Of course, it can. That's its pro- like I think you said earlier, isn't it? That it's one of its central purposes is to lessen our attachment to the physical that's right, plane, that's right. which is a very interesting way <coughs> of putting it. Karma is, is a mechanism of telling you what not to do, isn't it? Um, and you lessen your attachment to the physical by following its edicts. If you do. Um, uh, lose your attachment to the physical, do you still retain attachments to etheric, astral, mental levels? Well, you go through various um, subtle and subtle forms of attachment until eventually there's nothing left that's human. Do you understand it? Can I ask one more question? Yeah. Um, who decides when and how karma plays out? There's two different things. First of all, all karma happens within the body of the Diva Kingdom. So you produce modifications in Divic substance. The Diva needs to return back to its source. And when it returns back to its source, it projects or gives to you the reciprocal karma. In other words, the balance sheet becomes clean. You take you manifest a modification in divic energy. 
So it's done this. When the diva comes back to where it is, it gives you back that energy. It's basically as simple as that. Um, when you see the divas of, of anything that happens, for instance, we go to the um, to the concept of hitting someone. When you wallop somebody, somebody, a certain quantity of divas, it's the force that's put into that, that causes the pain, um, that force must come back to the individual. With equal, the divas come back, and when they come back, they produce the same. Um, the diva kingdom works that out um, as to the right timing when they are to return. Okay. And the, the general direction of your karma from life to life is worked out by your soul. So there's these two agents. And when you're actually working in a group like us, uh, like we are, working consciously upon yourself to zap DB, etc., then the karma then also falls in the hands of hierarchy. They begin to direct your karma so that um, their purpose, which is to make you an enlightened being, comes to play or will happen. And so your whole karma then is worked out years ahead um, so that in accordance with the way you pass your testings, such and such and such and such will happen that will liberate you from karma. Come in this life, come in the next life, um, we'll begin again. There's a certain, um, a certain um, initiation, we can call it, which is the third initiation, or the third initiation fully manifested, or properly manifested, when from then on you're technically karma-less. By that it means that you, will, you no longer have the capacity to manifest individual karma. There's no I, me, mine to do so. It's group karma only, or national karma. Is that why they say technically that you're never given more karma than you can deal with because it's based on your level of where you're at and that's what right, they the know level you can actually cope with? That's right. They know what you actually can cope with, and that includes the DV karma, cosmic karma, mm. um, and all the other streams of karma and sicknesses. And believe me, if there's some very violent, violent sicknesses that you have to experience because of what you've done in your past life emotionally, for instance, then that karma can also manifest. You know, some disciples have gone to had to go to near death um, to get the lessons they need in life, and when they finally get out of that, at the end of that, then they are a different person. Mm. Right, or some incredible sicknesses, you know, I've heard. You know. Um, so there's different types of karma that must be cleansed, and initiation, the initiation process, relates to the cleansing of that type of karma. Karmic cleansing practices has developed primarily in the East, Hinduism and Buddhism. Um, what is their effects? It, what are their roots? Because presumably they they were first construed um, by enlightened beings. Yes, there is for those of dull of demeanor, those of dull of consciousness. Mm -hmm. um, 100,000 prostrations for those types of people are good. Um, why? Because they have low consciousness, low mind, um, 
they actually developing a devotion to deity. They're focusing their minds upon a single object. Um, this will um, seed them well for future life, where they become very one-pointed and will and willful and in the image of the deity or image of deity and deity making. It's a form of deity yoga. Um, the time that they consume is of little consequence because they are of simple mind and they would not um, manifest their lives in a better way anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's singleness of purpose, they're developing the will, um, they're developing visualization techniques and they're um, developing concepts of mantra and that sort of thing. It also help them with um, samskaras as well, yeah, because while course. they're doing that they're developing much better... Mm habit patterns. That is right. And it's keeping off the streets. Helping to (laughs) fix up their psychology, so to speak. That is right. As I said, it's keeping them off the streets. By that I mean they're not doing um, bad bad deeds. And so because it's all tied into the whole philosophy. Um, But if it is somebody not of of that low um, demeanor Mm -hmm. mentally, then it is detrimental. Because... um, they have much more to do of their lives. They've got to sort of um, mm. um, manifest mm. charitable acts. They've got to um, um, write books on the Dharma and so forth. Uh, so for them, it's a waste. They mm. should have already developed that type of activity in past lives. Mm. Um, and it's not just the 100,000 prostrations and this is a Tibetan thing I mean you can sort of do it in the the, the, the Trappist monks sort of always praying for how you know, for in front of the altar in terms of the, the image of the Christ and flagellation or whatever it goes on and on like this there's many different types of religious practices but the same thing mm-hmm. to produce a certain um, fixation of mind um, upon that deity uh, Upon in an attempt to um, nullify one's past actions. Yes, yes, there's many, but this is, you can see, it's a low level yeah. of spirituality. Yeah. It's not a high level. It's not that mm. which is going to produce enlightenment. It's just a door it knocker. It has some benefits. Yes. Mm. It's a door so. knocker, and for certain types of people, it's, 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 it's useful. For certain types also, if they're going to go later into yogic practices, the ability, for instance, to sit for a long time and the 100,000 prostrations or something like that can be a preliminary to mm-hmm. later on yogic development. It's um, not necessary. I don't ever say it's wrong mm-hmm. for the Buddhist practitioner. What I say it's wrong is for that highly intellectual Westerner. Mm-hmm. Um, generally it's wrong mm-hmm. for them because they are throwing most of their mind um, out, out through the window in order to do a practice that, that's actually sort of designed for sheep herders and, and shopkeepers and things like that. Puja is the, um, sand, uh, the Hindi or Sanskrit word for ritual. It's temple ritual. But um, I'm thinking specifically of something that's referred to as a puja where they're making offerings of some sort and usually well, I think there's often... All pujas, whether yeah. it's Buddhist or Hindu, involve making offerings. Or ours, we, we offer light. There's a whole range of pujas or practices in Buddhism and Hinduism for all sorts of different purposes. Now, for example, in, in Tibetan Buddhism, Vajrasattva 
is the deity that you most do puja with or practice. You know, if someone says, I'm doing Vajrasattva practice, that means they're conducting a ritual. And now my understanding is a ritual has various different components. It normally starts off in Buddhism with a dedication. I dedicate all the merit of this puja, of this practice to all sentient beings. Um, things will be given, such as lock candles or, or food um, to the shrine. Prostrations will be made. Um, there will be a sadhana root mantra and a prayer that's cited over and over again. There will be visualizations where you visualize yourself as the being if you're doing advanced practice and then eventually dissolving yourself, for example, into emptiness. There's all different levels and so according... You can see it, it's a lot... It's quite a... It's, it's mind, mind quite training. A of, yeah, mind training. Mm-hmm. And often okay. it also starts with a fast and things like that. It, but it's also um, that... It's it's the temple ritual. It's that which keeps the temple alive. In Hindu practice, they have the, yeah. they do offerings where yeah. and, and it's offerings of the elements. They offer um, air, water, fire, earth, and um, then they call the, the names of God. So they go through a whole great sequence of of the names of the deity. And you have pujas, yeah, like you have pujas for offering to the temple. You have pujas for long life. You have pujas for um, you know, all the exoteric things such as preventing sickness. Mm-hmm. You have pu- mm-hmm. yeah, to be respected, mm-hmm. but to understand that they are, you know, largely exoteric practices with esoteric roots. In India, the activity of, of offering puja or doing puja is, is really um, a lot about respecting deity in mm-hmm everything you know there's a different puja for every deity as in the same as there's a different puja for every object there's a puja to the river there's a puja to the sun there's one to you know to nature to the mother to everything because there's the whole philosophy is so deeply ingrained in in the fact that everything that exists is an aspect of, of, of brahman it's basically the same as shamanism in that regard it's like, you know, I worship the sun, I worship the river, I worship this, I see them all as yeah. expressions of the divine. Mm. It's the same sort of practice. Yeah, they personify all the various expressions yeah. of the divine. Mm. So you understand now that um, killing a lot of people, for instance, in a war, in a war, I just give you just a little sort of part of this type of karma, you may be called to war. Um, there's a war, you're part of a, you have no say in it. You're conscripted, it's either your death, they either kill you on the spot or you go and join the army. That sort of thing, right? It's a conscription. Um, then you're part of a national uh, national karma. Mm. It's not necessarily your individual karma. You have individual karma, but um, you go as part of a... Of a, a um, the karma is national. Um, it's, it's got to do with... Um, um, part of the menus department, they work out the sort of interrelationship between whole movements of people. Um, something like sort of the the karma of herds of um, cows or whatever. And, um, anyway, it's so. Then, when you got the gun in your hand, you're a soldier. You're there defending your country, right? Because you're swept into this whole smuzzle then what you have to make sure you do is follow your conscience. Mm. Do only that which is conscientiously right in terms 
are performing your national duty. Um, whether you kill or get killed is then part of the overall karmic balance. However, for instance, if you're a soldier and you have the gun and you enter a person's house, a peasant's house, say, and um, you've suddenly captured three women and you rape them and kill them, then suddenly it's no longer national karma, mm. right? You are um, individual karma takes over and you must pay for that. But if you're at the other end of the firing line and there's a soldier over there shooting at you and you shoot at them and kill them, that's part of the general karmic stream. It's a different mm -hmm. um, set of karma. You understand this? Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to clear this form of karma because mm. this is also sometimes a bit confusing to mm. to beginners when they try to figure out what yeah, aspects of karma. Um, ultimately, there's no death. Um, so you're shot and you're reborn again or you survive and you continue until you die and then you're reborn again. Ultimately, it doesn't matter too much as to when it is time for you to die. If you're fulfilling your duty, if you're fulfilling the karma of the nation, um, then you will either die or not die. Uh, but if you get wounded or severely sort of um, handicapped, like losing your arm, that will be your individual karma from something you've done to somebody in a past life and for which you must pay. Mm. It's all tied in within that karmic stream. You understand? But it's not for you to cause undue pain or suffering to anyone else just because you have a gun mm. in your hand. Mm. Huh? Mm. And many soldiers go AWOL, you understand, berserk because they've got their gun. But this is a question that, that is a bit confusing for, for yeah, me, yeah, and it's a teaching that you actually need to know mm. so that when you have to answer it later, you've got it clear in your mind and you no longer fumble for answers because it's there. Yes? Yeah, well, my question with respect to us being trained as teachers to teach people about this, with respect to general humanity, as you say, who aren't even aware of the psychological or any other karmic consequences that we're currently dealing with, what sort of a level do you bring in teachings of karma for general humanity, or is that a bag too big for us no, to attack? No, you teach everyone that comes your way, you must teach them about karma. This new religion we teach is founded on a proper, authentic explanation of karma. Not the Hindu version, not the Buddhist version, the version that I teach and which is in my book on karma. Mm. Right? Because Basically, the teaching out there on karma is erroneous. So even though technically they might not understand it, we're responsible to put it out there. You're responsible to put it out there. That is right. That is your brief by me and by hierarchy, the Lords of Shambhala. That is our um, edict. Mm -hmm. The law of karma must now be promulgated on a large scale, wisely and properly the way it actually is and not the way it is distorted to be. So has it been in the past veiled deliberately or just distorted? It's been distorted, of course. No. It's never been given out, uh, never been corrected by the Buddha. 
and as a consequence very few people have understood it. They've seen it as the type of law that was given out 10 to 15 years ago to sheep farmers and cow herders and, uh, <laughs> and very simple-minded people. It worked well for them then, it's no longer uh, appropriate the way it is taught for sophisticated minds. Mm. They need a much better logical fare. And the scientific community won't mm. accept it in the way it is taught now. It's illogical. With the big, um, particularly the big military situations, but maybe more generally as well, it seems that the nature of the extent of the personality will that's used to enact events is quite significant to the degree of karma that one is creating. Mm. Because you were saying before that in terms of someone killing 50 people, or let's say if you're the leader, like I was thinking of Genghis Khan, mm. and uh, these type of people who've apparently wrought a lot of destruction. Mm. Now, the extent to which they sort of followed many strong trends within that time by their own people and 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 um, situations, circumstances of world events at that time compared to someone concocting this immense dream of going out and brutalising, mm. you know, it would seem... Sure, one, you know, one type of entity, well, mm. you mentioned Genghis Khan, of course, which sort of swept through all of Asia. Mm. Um, he was, in his methodology, quite a brutal man, but he yes. was a agent of Shambhala. Mm. He was... Um, working out an agent of um, national karma or international karma at that time. Uh, he, he acted as a cleansing scourge of certain um, groupings of people, even sort of um, such things as the Manichaean sort of religion was wiped out by him. Uh, it's, a, it's actually a force of Shambhala. There's other sort of... Um, great military leaders that actually acted like this. That's why uh, they didn't um, invade Tibet. <laughs> yes. But um, there are other sort of individuals that manifest um, personal karma and probably you may find that Genghis Khan abused his fief, I mean, no, F-I-E-F, fiefdom. Yeah. He, he, he abused his charter um, that was given by the Lords of Shambhala and a consequence will have to pay quite a bit of karma because of his cruelty. Did you say that since the Buddha no one has correctly taught the doctrine, the true doctrine of karma, or the Buddha himself didn't even teach the... The Buddha didn't teach, the Buddha didn't correct it. He, oh, he just, didn't correct he it. He just uh, parroted on the um, old teachings yeah. of karma because for him at this stage that wasn't so important. Oh. He knew that somebody would come later at the correct time because... Oh of the intricacies of the law and it necessitated an understanding of the law of energy which nobody at his time understood. So he had his limitations but now the time for the proper teaching of karma must peel out, must ring out mm. and that's your duty. It's not that hard. And understand this, when people properly understand the law of karma you imagine how much freer their lives will be and uh, they'll begin to act more wisely, won't they? One question I have about the whole knowing of the law of karma and therefore acting consciously in accordance with it is 
uh, aren't people then really just being motivated to sort of avoid suffering rather than to cultivate genuine love and compassion for other beings? They may be cultivated to avoid suffering, but um, I would be um, happy to see that on a mass scale. And <laughs> <laughs> it's a good way to start. Isn't it? <laughs> Generating those positive sense scars. Yeah, it's a necessary beginning. Yeah. The Christians did use fear as an impetus for some. Well, that's what the what's what the teaching of karma is about: fear of rebirth in the animal kingdom. You do this and this and this, you're going to be born as a cow. That's that's what the law of karma is based on in terms of the thing. We also, in a sense, um, teach the doctrine of fear uh, in that from that point of view. Mm. If you cause pain to somebody else, then you'll suffer such and such. Mm. That's the doctrine of fear. You'll suffer pain, right? And, but we say, if you do good to somebody else, give generously, then you'll suffer the rewards of that. That's then the, the corollary to it. So we basically say, whatever you sow, that you shall also reap. And that is St. Paul's definition of karma in the Bible. And it's the one I like to use. Mm. St. Paul, yay! <laughs> <laughs> I like him very much. I like how you say, suffer the rewards, mm. um, instead of enjoy the rewards. <laughs> well, for sure. See, most people seem to think that their good karma is having lots of money and probably lots of sex. Right? They sort of somehow equate these things as good karma. Mm. We of hierarchy say that neither of these is necessarily good karma. What is good karma is doing the service work that um, relieves you from the need for having to incarnate. Everything that lessens your karmic grip with the physical plane is good karma. Having lots of money and lots of sex just means you perpetuate cycles of indulgence that keeps you addicted to the physical plane, more chances to do um, erroneous deeds and painful things and many more lives. The less number of lives one has, the, the happier one is going to be. Yes. Lots and lots of money and lots and lots of sex is not necessarily good karma, though you can have a pleasurable life in that life. Next life you'll pay for it. If you indulge, if you If you indulge, if you abuse your whatever it is, yes, you'll pay for it and you must. But to be a real theme of this talk tonight, lots and lots of Well, I don't know. There's lots of karma attached to it. I don't know who's around here in this this room that's got lots and lots of sex and they're fought when they were young, but um, it does generally mean all sorts of genital problems, yes? Yeah, you can think of them. There's a whole list of diseases that you can have through the abuse of your sexual organs because, after all, there's only a physical thing. After all, is it not so? It's got its limitations, and a lot of people like to stretch the limitations to far beyond the bounds of what nature is actually intended for it. And, as a matter of fact, the, the um, syphilis and some of these other um, diseases that was the methodology of killing out the Lemurians, if I can say, or of, um, like, um, the Great Flood was for the Atlanteans, syphilis was for, for the Lemurian root race. They say for cannibalism or the Earth, but literally it was syphilis that almost wiped out the human race. Because the law that they manifested was 
because they did not have a mind, they needed physical proof of what it was that they were doing that was causing them, that would cause them a great deal of pain and suffering. So when all those welts and things appeared on the genitive organs and they could no longer do those acts, then they could add one and one together to work out what not to do. Mm-hmm. Don't have sex. Yes. Not like that and not so conspicuously, continuously, um, overabundantly. Do you think it's good karma? No, I think all the best in water. Do you want <laughs> do you want the Lemurian form of education? Well, mm. then we could sort of say continue with that and say, well, such things as AIDS is the same thing. Mm. Yeah. The same form of teaching. Overindulgence yeah, over means that you must pay through a physical mechanism of the over expression of the diva's concern. So it wasn't an experiment by the American government gone wild? No, no. Well, I mean, it may very well may be, but that's just a mechanism. It can still become an agent of karma. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. We create all sorts of things like cars that allow karma to wipe us out. <laughs> yes, so why, why does this happen? Well, basically what happens if you're abusing a portion of your body, whether it's your SP, right, and most people abuse that, all their stomach centers, if they're violently angry, um, all their genital organs, if they're abusively manifesting sexually, means that the divas are being continuously expelled out into the environment. So it's a weakening of the area. And eventually the area gets so weak, so lacking of divic substance, mm. that a disease-bearing a disease pathogen can manifest there easily and mm. manifest its um, virulence. Okay? But in the case of AIDS, isn't that something that sort of infects the bloodstream? Well, yeah, we can go into oh, to, so to, to all the other technicalities yeah. of it, but you'll find it's also got to do with people's emotions. You'll find it's mm. not just sex, it's, it's incredible emotions and lifestyle that goes into yeah, it. And okay. the whole... Kitten, the whole kit of it is what they suffer. And, uh, and then you have to go into past lives too, as well, and see what they did in past lives. It's it's actually quite a, a yeah. thing. It's not just necessarily just one life. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can have a very beautiful, healthy lifestyle in this life and still come up with a very pretty heavy disease because you've got to suffer something from an earlier life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like children being born with AIDS. But yes. you can see that the law of karma is exact, and I'm trying to say that children are born with AIDS, it's because mm-hmm. what they've done in the former life. And That's from true. my point of view, sometimes I think it's good to get over something when you're a child, yeah. rather than sort of, it's, it's like Clearing. sort of um, whipping cough or... Um, glandular fever, a lot of those things that, that yes, we those, we suffer that when we are a child, and then we we don't suffer the the really virulent form of it if we we're an adult. Mm. Um, uh, I can remember some of the things. I'm really happy, like my burnt my back that was burnt, bent once in my stomach, um, recuperating from something like ninety percent burns and. Uh, well, it was over and done with. It was over and done with by the time I was six or something like that. It didn't stop you from working if it had happened later. Yeah, yeah. For sure, I remember when <laughs> I was in hospital, my parents went and bought a cowboy suit for me. I was running around the hospital with a little boy of a... <laughs> mm. 
but it's it's all. But I know how much it caused my my family. The the trauma it caused my family was enormous. My mother, you know, to carry me on her back, and because we we're living in Manjimup in, in the country, you know, screaming for miles and miles and miles in the nearest hospital. Yeah. It's not just my karma. It's the mother's karma. Mm. She also has to suffer the child's pain and suffering. Or, in the case of my parents, they had to waste or, or eliminate the sum of their savings in order to put me through hospital. Mm. It all went. Yeah. Fun stuff. So, yeah. okay, it's okay. This is just the sort of things. It's 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 just that. I mean, there can be also sort of you know you know the the the, the, the standard sort of problems with um, parents with backyard pools and. The, you know, I'm, I'm trying to save the kids from falling into that. Okay, that's that's probably the end of this. Any other questions or comments? No, let's not. <laughs>